Hi, this is Annie Fox for Family Confidential, Secrets of Successful Parenting. My guest today is Susan Berland. Susan is a parenting coach who is fiercely committed to guiding parents of gay youth back to a loving, accepting relationship when they are struggling to accept their child as gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender. Hi, Susan. Welcome to Family Confidential. Hi, Annie. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. You know, um, I was so interested in finding out the kind of particular support that you give for parents, parents of LGBT youth. And I thought to myself, this would be a great segment because I so often get emails from young people who are struggling with that. How do I come out to my parents? And many of them are very, very fearful of the kind of reaction that they get. And so I was delighted to find out that this is the work that you do. And I want to ask you first off, um, what is a typical, I would say a typical reaction, because it probably doesn't exist as one, but I know you and I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, and the idea of, you know, um, being gay is is certainly maybe more acceptable than it might be in some other parts of the country. And yet, this is what your practice is, and, and people are reaching out to you. So what kind of typical responses do parents have when a son or daughter comes out to them? It's interesting you mentioned the Bay Area because people think because we live here that it isn't an issue. But I think there are many people like I was who are liberal, open-minded, they have gay friends, their children may even have gay friends, and they think that they don't have any issue. But when their own child comes out, they find themselves shocked and surprised at their own emotional reaction. And the truth is the emotional reaction is similar, you know, whether you are open-minded or not so open-minded. So it sounds like when you say the word shock, it's like, wow, this is a bolt from the blue. I had no idea. Is that what we're talking about? It could be, but not necessarily. Okay. I, I, I suspected for a long time my son was gay. And yet when he told me, there was a sense of shock. It's hard to describe. It's not shock. I didn't have any idea. It was shock, an emotional shock. I, it's hard to really describe it, but I think it's pretty common. And then on top of that was the shock I had at my own reaction because I thought, well, why would I have a problem with this? And yet I did. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tell, tell me, uh, I mean, uh, clearly you, I'm guessing you got into this work because of your own experience and maybe a lack of resources for yourself? Is that true? Yes and no. Um, My son came out 26 years ago. Uh, Mm -hmm. There certainly were not the resources there are today. That's for sure. And I really didn't know where to turn. So that's part of it. But a lot of it is because over the years, as I've met many gay and lesbian people that are my son's age today, he's in his mid-40s, they never resolved the issue with their parents or their parents never resolved their feelings or the fact that they have a gay child. And I've seen the impact it has on them long-term. Many of them have dealt with substance abuse. Some of them have um, not really ever had successful relationships. Mm. They tend to be underemployed. That's not true for everyone whose parents rejected them in one form or another, but it was true for too many. And I felt that if I could reach the parents at the time the child comes out and help them navigate those feelings and learn how important their response is to their child's well-being, that I could really make a difference. Okay, so um, 
religious and conservative folks aside for the moment, and let's talk about, you know, liberal, um, open-minded, yes, I have gay friends, uh, my kid has friends, I'm, et cetera, et cetera, and there's this shock. W- what is a typical um, parent coming to you with? What is the request in terms of help? What do they want from you? I think a lot of what they want is to find is to know that however they're, re- they're feeling is really okay. Mm-hmm. I think that's a lot of it. It's, it's permission. And first, you know, um, permission to have those feelings and then the ability to actually examine what they are without judgment because we, we tend to judge ourselves. So being able to do that with someone who's not going to judge their feelings and their emotions can be very helpful. So they come with that, and they come with that shock of, how come I'm feeling this way? Mm-hmm. I love my kid. I have lots of gay friends. Why is this bothering me so much? Interesting. And, and so you work with them and help them maybe uncover some of some residual attitudes they may have or, um, or what? Fill in the blank. I don't, I, it, for these parents, I don't think it's residual attitudes. It's okay. For many of us, uh, as our children grow up, we have a vision of what their life's going to be like. Mine was he would grow up, he would get married, he'd have a professional career, and he'd have children, and I'd be a grandmother. <laughs> that was a part of my vision was included me. Mm-hmm. So when he told me he was gay in 1989, I was like, well, now what? Well, how do I envision his life? And then there were uh, concerns about gay bashing. There were concerns about his life being more difficult because he's gay. Would he find love? Would he, you know, be able to find someone and settle down? You know, what would happen with jobs if he was out? All mm-hmm. kinds of those, you know, those kinds of worries are pretty common. Mm-hmm. So, so I hear what you're saying, and, and um, it isn't necessarily residual attitudes. It's this idea of my, my picture, my, my vision of what my child's future would be. And I think that's really interesting what you say about, um, about your own role in it. Now, 1989 was a long time ago in terms of where we are socially in, in our attitudes and even um, politically as well as legally in our attitudes. And so I'm wondering, that being the framework of, say, here in California, where, where uh, marriage equality is the law, and... Um, and there are plenty of um, parents, gay parents, who have children, and, uh-huh. and they, those children have grandparents. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, so um, does it make your job, do you think, easier now if we're just taking a look at a, um, a more com- complete vision of possibilities for a child rather than, oh, my goodness, you know, you won't find love, you won't, right. all that stuff? Yeah, that, certainly things are a lot different today. Mm-hmm. And it's easier to resolve those issues for that parent who's the one that we're talking about in California. The parent who was in Alabama or Oklahoma, in uh, you know states like that, or that have been raised themselves very religiously and raised their children very religiously, that doesn't seem to make a difference. No. Because it's and not what they want for their child. N- it's not what they want. Um, so... Is it possible to to um, mend the um, the shock break, the shock waves that happen with this announcement, um, so that there is there is still a cohesive relationship, or or 
if a parent says to a young adult child, I reject this part of you, um, can they work around it? I don't think they can work around, I reject this part of you. That's a lot of the pain I've heard in people. You know, I, you know, I can talk about everything but that part of my life. Well, mm. that's who they are. It's not just a part of their life. It's, right. it's a, an essential part of who they are. Right. But I think what we can do is we can give parents that feel that way permission. They don't have to give up their religious beliefs. But we can also show those parents that that form of rejection can have this impact. There's been studies done that show that kids, LGBT kids that have had high levels of rejection from their families have much higher rates of attempted suicide, illegal drug use, HIV infection, but even moderate levels of rejection increase all of those risks. Mm -hmm. So I think once parents can realize that, they don't have to accept per se, their child being gay, but they can learn, or they don't have to like it, or they don't have to change their religious beliefs, but they can learn that the love they have for their children can overcome that obstacle when they really care about their child's well-being. Yeah, that's a lovely way of putting it, and I think it might make it easier for some parents to hear it that way. Right. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about the T in LGBT. Um, transgender kids, we're hearing more and more about um, gender nonconformity at right. earlier ages. And um, again, here in the Bay Area, I, I, I was just invited recently to, to speak to a parent group at a, at a preschool about um, gender, gender um, nonconformity and, and making the school more inclusive. Mm-hmm. In, that, in that way, in terms of attitude. So from your experience, um, is there a difference in parents when they come to you finding out that their, their child is lesbian or gay versus their child saying, um, I'm transgender? I don't think there's a big difference except that the, the issues, I use that term loosely, the issues that parents of transgender and gender nonconforming children deal with are... Um, multiplied because of that. So they have the same fears that a parent of a gay or lesbian or bisexual child will have. But then on top of it, they have, I think they have increased fears for their child's safety because in this day and age, there's more uh, violence against transgender people than there are against gay and lesbian people. So they have that issue. And then they worry about their health. They worry about them taking hormones. They worry about surgeries. Mm-hmm. And then the other part is, if you can imagine, you grew up thinking that you had a daughter, mm-hmm. and she comes home to one day and says, I've been living this lie, and it's killing me, and if I don't do something about it, I don't know if I can go on. I'm not really a girl. I'm a boy. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, we talked about expectations from the perspective of, you know, thinking your child will grow up and get married, but you have expectations based on a gender. Yeah. And now it's you have to change the name and pronouns. And, you know, I heard a mom speak not too long ago. She has a transgendered son. And she said every, you know, when she's with him and he goes into the men's room, she worries until he comes out. (laughs) It's just, it's the way moms are, I guess, you know, but it's not something I would think about, you know, as the mother of a gay child. So there, it complicates things. And there's a lot of issues it's not so bad in California. We have laws about the schools and bathrooms and sport teams, but that's not true 
across the country. It's not true in most states. Yeah. No, I was also thinking of another aspect of this is when your child announces, you know, I'm not really a girl, I'm a boy, and I can't, I don't want to live this way. And, and if they transition and have the, sur- the surgery, how does the parent then um, make that information known to the rest of the extended family? Some parents don't want to, but I think it. Well, some point, hey, we we're coming up on somebody's, you know, fiftieth anniversary, grandma's fiftieth anniversary <laughs> party, and uh, and uh, our daughter's not here, but our son is. Oh, it's the same person, you know. It's like, <laughs> um, probably some explaining needs to be done in some families, and yeah, I, can I think what a lot what a lot of parents do is they write a letter, and they first, of course, they have to deal with their own stuff first and really yes. become, you know, really supportive of their child. Right. And then they write a letter and they let them know, you know, Mary is no longer Mary. She's now Mark. And Mark is our son and we love him. And this is what it means. And this is what we expect from you. And right. if you can't, you know, if this is not behavior that you can support, I don't mean the child's behavior. I mean their own behavior. If you right. can't give what we expect, then we won't be seeing you. Wow, and I that... think a lot of parents have done that. And sometimes they're really surprised, pos- positively surprised at the response they get. Well, what I love about the, the wording of that letter that you, just, that you just kind of shared with us is how very supportive it is of the child. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and parents will write that, that letter to their pastor at their church They'll write it, you know, to their um, the parents, siblings, so the aunts and uncles of the child, grandparents, mm-hmm. you know, whoever is the is going to be in contact with that child, and they and they'll tell them, you know, we expect you to, to use male pronouns, or if it, sometimes a child chooses to use they and them, which mm-hmm. people can have a real a harder time adjusting to because it's we were raised speaking English properly. Yes, <laughs> they and them refers to two people, right. but there are the gender queer kids that don't identify as male or female. And so they've created some of their own pronouns or they go with they and them. Or some days they go with he and some days they go with she. Everybody's different. Uh And I just wanted to make one statement about the gender non-conforming child, a young child like the ones you were speaking to at the preschool. Sometimes a boy will want to dress in princess dresses and play with girl toys. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be transgender. But when the child says, as soon as they can talk, you know, I'm not a boy, I'm a girl, that's usually indicative of mm-hmm. being transgender. And if that were the case, what recommendation would you have for the parents of that young child? Some parents will go and have that child um, evaluated by a gender specialist, and there's some great support. I've never heard of that term, gender specialist. I'm so delighted to hear there is such a resource. <laughs> oh, there's some great, and especially here in the, in the Bay Area, and I know down in Los Angeles, the UCLA has an entire gender clinic for these kids. There's great. endocrinologists who specialize in this, so they're the ones that will be prescribing gender, I mean, um, hormone blockers so the child doesn't have to go through puberty puberty of the wrong gender mm-hmm. but um so you know the other thing that the parents want to do is make sure they have the support of their you know at school and camp and wherever else the child may be you know sports teams soccer you know t-ball whatever mm-hmm. so this this kind of easily slips into my usual realm of of discussion and work which has to do with socially aggressive kids, targeted kids, 
And how do we make schools more accepting and inclusive places for all students all the time? And, um, you know, we start off in the home and helping parents who, who need that kind of support build that um, that oasis of support within the family. Right. And then it's an education process, isn't it, for for the people outside of the family, including the school, classmates, and friends. Right. And there are organizations that do trainings in the schools for that specific reason, for oh, that tell issue. Us, do you know some? Well, there's a great organization in the East Bay called Gender Spectrum. And I think, I'm pretty sure they work countrywide, but they do a lot of work in the schools here in the Bay Area. Um, they have a conference every year that's a conference uh, for parents and for professionals. So they have a professional symposium day, and then they have two days of workshops for parents. They have a teen camp. They have a youth camp. They all stay overnight at St. Mary's College. And it's a great, a great event. And parents come and there's a place for them to talk and learn. There's a place for them to get support and find out they're not alone. So it's, yeah. it's, it's just one organization that I can highly recommend. It's great. You know, here it is 2015 and, and we started off saying, yes, things are a lot better than they were. For example, in 1989, when your right. son came out to you, um, I'm hoping in the not too distant future, this will be like, ho hum. Yes, of course. And that we're all so much more accepting than we are right now. We could all wish that. And Susan, I, yes. you are, you are doing such wonderful work. I'm, I'm really proud to know you. Thank you. So we only have a couple of minutes left, and I'd love for you to give our listeners and viewers an opportunity to learn more about the work you do and where they can find you. Well, my website is Susan Hope Burland. So my name with my full name, Hope, is actually my middle name. So S-U-S-A-N-H-O-P-E-B-E-R-L-A-N-D.com. Great. And there they can find all the information about the kind of services that you offer. Right. They can schedule a a complimentary appointment to talk about what's going on with them right there at that website. Wonderful. Thanks again, Susan, for your time and for the good work that you're doing. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Annie. This is Annie Fox for Family Confidential. To learn more about my parent coaching services, visit AnnieFox.com. And check out my book, Teaching Kids to Be Good People, Progressive Parenting for the 21st Century. And my latest book for 8- to 12-year-old girls, The Girls' Q&A Book on Friendship, 50 Ways to Fix a Friendship Without the Drama. And if you like this podcast, we ask that you review it on iTunes. It may be a little thing to you, but it means an awful lot to us. Family Confidential Podcast is produced by Electric Egg Plant, creators of books and apps for parents, kids, tweens, and teens. And tune in next time when my guest will be Ginny Goodmanson. Ginny is the editor and founder of TechWithKids.com. She's also the Kid Tech columnist for USA Today. Ginny and I will be talking about apps for kids. Until next time, happy parenting. <laughs>